Chapter fifty six of the Life and Adventures of Nicholas Nickleby. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. Nicholas Nickleby by Charles Dickens. Chapter fifty six. Ralph Nickleby, baffled by his nephew in his late design, hatches a scheme of retaliation which accident suggests to him and takes into his counsels a tried auxiliary. The course which these adventures shape out for themselves, and imperatively call upon the historian to observe, now demands that they should revert to the point they attained previously to the commencement of the last chapter. When Ralph Nickleby and Arthur Gride were left together in the house, where death had so suddenly reared his dark and heavy banner, with clenched hands and teeth ground together so firm and tight that no locking of the jaws could have fixed and riveted them more securely, Ralph stood for some minutes in the attitude which he had last addressed his nephew, breathing heavily but as rigid and as motionless in other respects as if he had been a brazen statue. After a time he began by slow degrees, as a man rousing himself from heavy slumber, to relax. For a moment he shook his clasped fist towards the door by which Nicholas had disappeared, and then thrusting it into his breast as if to repress by force even this show of passion, turned round and confronted the less hardy Ursula, who had not yet risen from the ground. The cowering wretch who still shook in every limb, and whose few grey hairs trembled and quivered upon his head with such abject dismay, tottered to his feet as he met Ralph's eye, and shielding his face with both hands, protested while he crept towards the door that it was no fault of his. "'Who said it was, man?' returned Ralph in a suppressed voice. "'Who said it was?' "'You looked as if you thought I was to blame,' said Gride timidly. "'Tch!' Ralph muttered, forcing a laugh. "'I blame him for not living an hour longer. "'One hour longer would have been long enough. "'I blame no one else.' "'No one else?' said Gride. "'Not for this mischance,' replied Ralph. "'I have an old score to clear with that young fellow "'who has carried off your mistress. "'But that has nothing to do with his blustering just now.' for we should soon have been quit of him but for this cursed accident there was something so unnatural in the calmness with which ralph nickleby spoke when coupled with his face the expression of the features to which every nerve and muscle as it twitched and throbbed with a spasm whose workings no effort could conceal gave every instant some new and frightful aspect there was something so unnatural and ghastly in the contrast between his harsh slow steady voice only altered by a certain halting of the breath, which made him pause between almost every word, like a drunken man bent upon speaking plainly. And these evidences of the most intense and violent passion, and the struggle he made to keep them under, that if the dead body which lay above had stood instead of him before the cowering gride, it could scarcely have presented a spectacle which had terrified him more. "'The coach,' said Ralph, after a time, during which he had struggled like some strong man against a fit. "'We came in a coach. Is it waiting?' Gride gladly availed himself of the pretext for going to the window to see. Ralph, keeping his face steadily the other way, tore at his shirt with a hand which he had thrust into his breast, and muttered in a hoarse whisper, Ten thousand pounds! He said ten thousand, the precise sum paid in yesterday.' for the two mortgages which would have gone out again at a heavy interest to-morrow. If that house has failed, and he the first to bring the news, is a coach there?' "'Yes, yes,' said Gride, 
startled by the fierce tone of the inquiry. "'It's here, dear, dear, what a fiery man you are!' "'Come here,' said Ralph, beckoning to him. "'We mustn't make a show of being disturbed. We'll go down arm in arm.' "'But you pinch me black and blue,' urged Gride. Ralph let him go impatiently, and descending the stairs with his usual firm and heavy tread, got into the coach. Arthur Gride followed, after looking doubtfully at Ralph when the man asked where he was to drive, and finding that he remained silent, and expressed no wish upon the subject, Arthur mentioned his own house, and thither they proceeded. On their way Ralph sat in the furthest corner with folded arms, and uttered not a word. With his chin sunk upon his breast, and his downcast eyes quite hidden by the contraction of his knotted brows, he might have been asleep for any sign of consciousness he gave until the coach stopped, when he raised his head, and glancing through the window inquired what place that was. "'My house,' answered the disconsolate Gride, affected, perhaps, by its loneliness. "'Oh, dear, my house!' "'True,' said Ralph, "'I have not observed the way we came. I shall like a glass of water. You have that in the house, I suppose?' "'You shall have a glass of anything you like,' answered Gride, with a groan. "'It's no use knocking, coachman. Ring the bell.' The man rang and rang and rang again, and then knocked until the street re-echoed with the sounds then listened at the keyhole of the door. Nobody came. The house was as silent as the grave. "'How's this?' said Ralph impatiently. "'Peg is so very deaf,' answered Gride, with a look of anxiety and alarm. "'Oh, dear, ring again, coachman. She sees the bell.' Again the man rang and knocked and knocked and rang again. Some of the neighbours threw up their windows and called across the street to each other that old Gride's housekeeper must have dropped down dead. Others collected round the coach and gave vent to various surmises. Some held that she had fallen asleep. Some that she had burnt herself to death. Some that she had got drunk, and one very fat man that she had seen something to eat which had frightened her so much, not being used to it, that she had fallen into a fit. This last suggestion particularly delighted the bystanders, who cheered it rather uproariously, and were with some difficulty deterred from dropping down the area and breaking open the kitchen door to ascertain the fact nor was this all rumours having gone abroad that arthur was to be married that morning very particular inquiries were made after the bride who was held by the majority to be disguised in the person of mr ralph nickleby which gave rise to much jocose indignation at the public appearance of a bride in boots and pantaloons and called forth a great many hoots and groans at length the two money-lenders obtained shelter in a house next door, and being accommodated with a ladder, clambered over the wall of the backyard, which was not a high one, and descended into safety on the other side. "'I'm almost afraid to go in, I declare,' said Arthur, turning to Ralph when they were alone. "'Suppose she should be murdered, lying with her brains knocked out by a poker, eh?' "'Suppose she were,' said Ralph. "'I tell you, I wish such things were more common than they are.' and more easily done you may stare and shiver i do he applied himself to a pump in the yard having taken a deep draught of water and flung a quantity on his head and face regained the accustomed manner and led the way into the house gride following close at his heels it was the same dark place as ever every room dismal and silent as it was wont to be and every ghostly article of furniture in its customary place the iron heart of the grim old clock, undisturbed by all the noise without, still beat heavily within its dusty case. 
the tottering presses slunk from the sight as usual in their melancholy corners the echoes of footsteps returned the same dreary sound the long-legged spider paused in his nimble run and scared by the sight of men in that his dull domain hung motionless on the wall counterfeiting death until they should have passed him by from cellar to garret went the two ursurers opening every creaking door and looking into every deserted room but no peg was there at last they sat them down in the apartment which arthur gride usually inhabited to rest after their search the hag is out on some preparation for your wedding festivities i suppose said ralph preparing to depart see here i destroy the bond we shall never need it now gride who had been peering narrowly about the room fell at that moment upon his knees before a large chest and uttered a terrible yell how now said ralph looking sternly round robbed robbed screamed arthur gride robbed of money no 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 worse far worse of what then demanded ralph worse than money worse than money cried the old man casting the papers out of the chest like some beast tearing up the earth she had better have stolen money all my money i haven't much she had better have made me a beggar than to have done this done what said ralph done what you devil's dotard still gride made no answer but tore and scratched among the papers and yelled and screeched like a fiend in torment there is something missing you say said ralph shaking him furiously by the collar what is it papers deeds i'm a ruined man lost lost i'm robbed i'm ruined she saw me reading it reading it of late i did very often she watched me saw me put it in the box that fitted into this and the box is gone she's stolen it damnation caesar she's robbed me of what cried ralph on whom a sudden light appeared to break for his eyes flashed and his frame trembled with agitation as he clutched gride by his bony arm of what she don't know what it is she can't read shrieked gride not heeding the inquiry there's only one way in which money can be made of it and that is by taking it to her somebody will read it for her it will tell her what to do and she and her accomplice will get money for it and be let off besides they'll make a merit of it say they found it knew it and be evidence against me the only person it will fall upon is me 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 patience said ralph clutching him still tighter and eyeing him with a sidelong look so fixed and eager as sufficiently to denote that he had some hidden purpose in what he was about to say hear reason she can't have been gone long i'll call the police do you but give information of what she has stolen and they'll lay hands upon her trust me here help no 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 screamed the old man putting his hand on ralph's mouth i can't i daren't help help cried ralph no 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 shrieked the other stamping on the ground with the energy of a madman i tell you no i daren't i daren't daren't make this robbery public said ralph no rejoined gride wringing his hands hush hush not a word of this not a word must be said i am undone whichever way i turn i am undone i am betrayed i shall be given up i shall die in newgate with frantic exclamations such as these and with many others in which fear grief and rage were strangely blended panic-stricken wretch gradually subdued his first loud outcry until it had softened down into a low despairing moan chequered now and then by a howl as going over the papers as were left in the chest he discovered some new loss with very little excuse for departing so abruptly ralph left him and greatly disappointing the loiterers outside the house by telling them that there was nothing a matter 
got into the coach and was driven to his own home a letter lay on his table he let it lie there for some time as if he had not the courage to open it but at length did so and turned deadly pale the worst has happened he said the house has failed i see the rumour was abroad in the city last night and reached the ears of those merchants well 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 he strode violently up and down the room and stopped again ten thousand pounds and only lying there for a day for one day how many anxious years how many pinching days and sleepless nights before i scraped together that ten thousand pounds ten thousand pounds how many proud painted dames would have fawned and smiled and how many spendthrift blockheads done me lip service to my face cursed me in their hearts while i turned that ten thousand pounds into twenty while i ground and pinched and used these needy borrowers for my pleasure and profit what smooth-tongued speeches and courteous looks and civil letters they would have given me the cant of the lying world is that men like me compass our riches by dissimulation and treachery by fawning cringing and stooping why how many lies what mean and abject evasions what humbled behaviour for upstarts who but for my money would spurn me aside as they do their betters every day would that ten thousand pounds have brought me in grant that i had doubled it made cent per cent but every sovereign told another there would not be one piece of money in all the heap which wouldn't represent ten thousand mean and paltry lies told not by the money-lender oh no but by the money borrowers your liberal thoughtless generous dashing folks who wouldn't be so mean as to save a sixpence for the world striving as it would seem to lose part of the bitterness of his regrets and the bitterness of these other thoughts ralph continued to pace the room there was less and less of resolution in his manner as his mind gradually reverted to his loss at length dropping into his elbow chair and grasping its side so firmly that they creaked again he said the time has been when nothing could have moved me like the loss of this great sum nothing for births deaths and marriages and all the events which are of interest to most men have unless they are connected with the gain or loss of money no interest for me but now i swear i mix up with the loss his triumph in telling it if he had brought it about i almost feel as if he had i couldn't hate him more let me but retaliate upon him by degrees however slow let me but begin to get the better of him let me but turn the scale and i can bear it his meditations were long and deep they terminated in his dispatching a letter by newman addressed to mr squeers at the saracen's head with instructions to inquire whether he had arrived in town and if so to wait an answer newman brought back the information that mr squeers had come by mail that morning and had received the letter in bed that he sent his duty and a word that he would get up and wait upon mr nickleby directly the interval between the delivery of this message and the arrival of mr squeers was very short but before he came ralph had suppressed every sign of emotion and once more regained the hard immovable inflexible manner which was habitual to him and to which perhaps was ascribable to no more part of the influence which over many men of no very strong prejudice on the score of morality he could exert almost at will well mr squeers he said welcoming that worthy with his accustomed smile 
of which a sharp look and a thoughtful frown were part and parcel. How do you do? Why, sir, said Mr. Squeers, I'm pretty well, so has the family, so has the boys, except for a sort of rash, as is running through the school, and rather puts them off their feed. But it's an ill wind that blows no good to nobody, that's what I always say, when them lads has a visitation. A visitation, sir, it's a lot of mortality. Mortality itself, sir, is a visitation. The world is chock full of visitations. If a boy repines at a visitation and makes you uncomfortable with his noise, he must have his head punched. That's going according to the scripture, that is. Mr. Squeers, said Ralph dryly. Sir, we'll avoid these precious morsels of morality, if you please, and talk of business. With all my heart, sir, rejoined Squeers. And first let me say, first let me say, if you please, Noggs. Newman presented himself when the summons had been twice or thrice repeated, and asked if his master calls. I did. Go to your dinner and go at once, do you hear? It ain't time, said Newman doggedly. My time is yours, and I say it is, returned Ralph. You alter it every day, said Newman. It isn't fair. You don't keep many cooks, and can easily apologise to them for the trouble, retorted Ralph. Begone, sir. Ralph not only issued this order in his most peremptory manner, but under pretence of searching for some papers from the little office, saw it obeyed, and when Newman had left the house, chained the door to prevent the possibility of his returning secretly by means of his latch-key. "'I have reason to suspect that fellow,' said Ralph, when he returned to his own office. "'Therefore, until I have thought of the shortest and least troublesome way of ruining him, I hold it best to keep him at a distance.' "'It wouldn't take much to ruin him, I should think,' said Squeers, with a grin. "'Perhaps not,' answered Ralph, "'nor to ruin a great many people whom I know. "'You were going to say?' "'Ralph's summary, and a matter-of-course way of holding up this example, "'and throwing out the hint that followed it, "'had evidently had an effect, as doubtless it was designed to have, "'upon Mr. Squeers, who said, after a little hesitation, "'and in a much more subdued tone, "'Why, what I was going to say, sir, is—' that this here business regarding of that ungrateful and hard-hearted chap Snawley Senior puts me out of my way, and occasions an inconveniency quite unparalleled. Besides, as I may say, making for a whole weeks together, Mrs. Squeers, a perfect widder, it's a pleasure for me to act with you, of course. Course, said Ralph dryly. Yes, I say, of course, resumed Mr. Squeers, rubbing his knees, but at the same time, when one comes out, as I do now, better than 250 mile, take an affidavit, it does put a man out a good deal, letting alone the risk. And where may the risk be, Mr. Squeers, said Ralph. I said letting alone the risk, replied Squeers evasively. And I said, where was the risk? I wasn't complaining, you know, Mr. Nickleby, pleaded Squeers. Upon my word, I never see such a... I ask you, where is the risk, repeated Ralph emphatically. "'Where is the risk?' returned Squeers, rubbing his knees still harder. "'Why, it ain't necessary to mention. Certain subjects is best avoided. Oh, you know what risk I mean.' "'How often have I told you,' said Ralph, "'and how often am I to tell you, that you run no risk? What you have sworn, or what you are asked to swear, but that at such and such a time a boy was left with you in the name of Smite, that he was at your school for a given number of years, was lost under such and such circumstances, is now found—' and has been identified by you in such and such keeping. That's all true, is it not? Yes, replied Squeer. That's all true. Well then, said Ralph, what risk do you run? 
Who swears to a lie but Snawley, a man whom I have paid much less than I have you? He certainly did it cheap, did Snawley, observed Squeers. He did it cheap, retorted Ralph testily. Yes, and he did it well, and carries it off with a hypocritical face and a sanctified air. But you, risk? What do you mean by risk? The certificates are all genuine. Snawley had another son. He has been married twice. His first wife is dead. None but her ghost could tell that she didn't actually write that letter. None but Snawley himself can tell that this is not his son, and that his son is food for worms. The only perjury is Snawley's, and I fancy he's pretty well used to it. Where's your risk? Why, you know, said Squeers, fidgeting in his chair, if you come to that, I might say, where's yours? You might say, where's mine, returned Ralph. You may say, where's mine? I don't appear in the business, neither do you. All Snawley's interest is, is to stick well to the story he has told, and all his risk is to depart from it in the least. Talk of your risk in the conspiracy. Ah, say, remonstrated Squeers, looking uneasily round. Don't call it that, just as a favour, don't. Call it what you like, said Ralph irritably, but attend to me. This tale was originally fabricated as a means of annoyance against one who hurt your trade and half-cudgelled you to death and to enable you to obtain repossession of a half-dead drudge, whom you wish to regain, because while you wreaked your vengeance on him for his share in the business, you knew that the knowledge that he was again in your power would be the best punishment you could inflict upon your enemy. Is that so, Mr. Squeers? Why, sir, returned Squeers, almost overpowered by the determination which Ralph displayed to make everything tell against him, and by his stern, unyielding manner, in a measure it was. "'What does that mean?' said Ralph. "'Why, in a measure means,' returned Squeers, "'as it may be, it wasn't all on my account, "'because you had some old grudge to satisfy too.' "'If I had not had,' said Ralph, "'in no way abashed by the reminder, "'do you think I should have helped you?' "'Why, no, I don't suppose you would,' Squeers replied. "'I only wanted that point to be all square and straight between us.' "'How can it ever be otherwise?' retorted Ralph. "'Except the account is against me, "'for I spend money to gratify my hatred, "'and you pocket it, and gratify yours at the same time. "'You are at least as avaricious as you are revengeful. "'So am I. Which is best off? "'You, who win money and revenge, "'at the same time and by the same process, "'and who are at all events sure of money, "'if not of revenge, or I?' who am only sure of spending money in any case, and can but win bare revenge at last. As Mr. Squeers could only answer this proposition by shrugs and smiles, Ralph bade him be silent, and thankful that he was so well off, and then, fixing his eyes steadily upon him, proceeded to say, first, that Nicholas had thwarted him in a plan he had formed for the disposal in marriage of a certain young lady, and had, in the confusion attendant on her father's sudden death, secured that lady himself, and borne her off in triumph. Secondly, that by some will or settlement, certainly by some instrument in writing, which must contain the young lady's name, and could be therefore easily selected from others, if access to the place where it was deposited were once secured, she was entitled to property, which, if the existence of this deed ever became known to her, would make her husband, and Ralph represented that Nicholas was certain to marry her, a rich and prosperous man, and a most formidable enemy. 
thirdly that this deed had been with others stolen from one who had himself obtained or concealed it fraudulently and who feared to take any steps for its recovery that he ralph knew the thief to all this mr squeers listened with greedy ears that devoured every syllable and with his one eye and his mouth wide open marvelling for what special reason he was honoured with so much of ralph's confidence and to what it all tended now said ralph leaning forward and placing his hands on squeer's arm hear the design which i have conceived and which i must i say must if i can ripen it have carried into execution no advantage can be reaped from this deed whatever it is save by the girl herself or her husband and the possession of this deed by one or other of them is indispensable to any advantage being gained that i have discovered beyond the possibility of doubt i want that deed brought here that i may give the man who brings it fifty pounds in gold and burn it to ashes before his face mr squeers after following with his eye the action of ralph's hand towards the fireplace as if he were at that moment consuming the paper drew a long breath and said yes but who's going to bring it nobody perhaps for much is to be done before it can be got at said ralph but if anybody you mr squeers first tokens of consternation and his flat relinquishment of the task would have staggered most men if they had not immediately occasioned an utter abandonment of the proposition on ralph they produced not the slightest effect resuming when the schoolmaster had quite talked himself out of breath as coolly as if he had never been interrupted ralph proceeded to expatiate on such features of the case as he deemed it most advisable to lay the greatest stress on these were the age the decrepitude and weakness of mrs sliderskew the great improbability of her having any accomplice or even acquaintance taking into account her secluded habits and her long residence in such a house as grides the strong reason that there was to suppose that the robbery was not the result of a concerted plan otherwise she would have watched an opportunity of carrying off a sum of money the difficulty she would be placed in when she began to think on what she had done and found herself encumbered with documents of whose nature she was utterly ignorant and the comparative ease with which somebody with the full knowledge of her position obtaining access to her and working on her fears if necessary might worm himself into her confidence and obtain under one pretence or another free possession of the deed to these were added such considerations as the constant residence of mr squeers at a long distance from london which rendered his association with miss sliderskew a mere masquerading frolic in which nobody was likely to recognize him either at the time or afterwards the impossibility of ralph's undertaking the task himself and being already known to her by sight and various comments on the uncommon tact and experience of mr squeers which would make his overreaching one old woman a mere matter of child's play and amusement in addition to these influences and persuasions ralph drew with his utmost skill and power a vivid picture of the defeat which nicholas would sustain should they succeed in linking himself to a beggar where he expected to wed a heiress glanced at the immeasurable importance it must be to a man situated as squeers to preserve such a friend as himself dwelt on a long train of benefits conferred since their first acquaintance when he had reported favourably of his treatment of a sickly boy who had died under his hands 
and whose death was very convenient to Ralph and his clients. But this he did not say, and finally hinted that the fifty pounds might be increased to seventy-five, or in the event of very great success, even to a hundred. These arguments at length concluded, Mr. Squeers crossed his legs, uncrossed them, scratched his head, rubbed his eye, examined the palms of his hands, and bit his nails, and after exhibiting many other signs of restlessness and indecision, asked whether one hundred pounds was the highest that Mr. Nickleby could go. Being answered in the affirmative, he became restless again, and after some thought and unsuccessful inquiry, whether he couldn't go another fifty, said he supposed he must try to do the most he could for a friend, which was always his maxim, and therefore he undertook the job. "'But how are you to get at the woman?' he said. "'That's what it is as puzzles me.' "'I may not get her at all,' replied Ralph. "'But I'll try. I have hunted people in this city before now, who have been better hid than she, and I know quarters in which a guinea or two, carefully spent, will often solve darker riddles than this.' Ay, and keep them close too, if need be. I hear my man ringing at the door. We may as well part. You'd better not come to and fro, but wait till you hear from me. Good, returned Squeers. I say, if you shouldn't find her out, you'll pay expenses at the Saracen and something for a loss of time. Well, said Ralph testily, yes, you have nothing more to say. Squeers, shaking his head, Ralph accompanied him to the street door and audibly wondering, for the edification of Newman, why it was fastened as if it were night, let him in, and squares out, and returned to his own room. Now, he muttered, come what come may, for the present I am firm and unshaken, let me but retrieve this one small portion of my loss and disgrace, let me but defeat him in this one hope, dear to his heart as I know it must be, let me but do this, and it shall be the first link in such a chain, which I will wind about him as never man forged yet. End of chapter 56